0: 2 Peter chapter 1 as well. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, we're going to read those together. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll read those verses responsively. We'll be reading from verse 1 down through verse number 8. Let's begin in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22. Together, verses 22 and 23. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Second Peter chapter 1 will be to the right of the book of Galatians. And we'll be in the first eight verses there. I'll begin reading in verse 1. And then we'll read every other verse together beginning in verse number 2. The Bible says in verse 1, Simon Peter... Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness Charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to look at the ninth and final fruit of the Spirit this morning, talking about having these being born by the Spirit through our lives. And uh, the one we're looking at this morning is Temperance. And the title of the message is this, A Testimony of Temperance. A Testimony of temperance. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us as we look at a topic that most, if not all of us struggle with in some area in our life? But Lord, an area that is fundamental to Christian growth, fundamental to Christian success, fundamental to prospering in our Christian walk. And so, Lord, as we look at this topic, would you put your finger on the areas in our lives where we need to improve? And Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves, help us to do inventory, and to make the changes necessary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Let me begin by saying that I am not going to preach a salvation-type sermon this morning. Um, but I want to take a moment and plug the gospel. We have several folks visiting for the first time, and I and I don't want you to come into our church and um, and visit and not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, What are we about here at White Oak Baptist Church? Uh, We gather together every Sunday morning, not so that we can be a social club, not so that we can have a country club atmosphere. The truth is, from the pastor on down, all of us are a bunch of broken sinners, and we show up to church because for us, church is a spiritual hospital. And we need the healing balm of the medicine of God's Word to be poured into our spiritual wounds and to help get us from one week to the next. Now sometimes we come to church and what we hear, the preaching of what we hear is preventative maintenance, it's preventative medicine. It's meant to keep us from getting sick. Other times we come to church and we're broken and we're hurting and we need God's word to be that that uh, that uh, that bandage, that splint, that um uh, that medicine that helps us to uh, get better. Uh, but but really it all begins with this thought. I am a sinner, and because I am a sinner, I cannot enter into God's perfect heaven with my sin. You see, there's two testaments in the Bible. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, the groundwork is laid for what it takes for a person to get into heaven. And the standard God lays out in the Old Testament by the giving of the law is perfection. It's you must keep the whole law. You may not violate any point of the law in order for you to enter into heaven. Now, I'm going to stand up here today as the pastor of the church and tell you that I have broken many of God's laws. In fact, I have probably broken all of them either in the letter of the law or at the least, the spirit of the law. We're all guilty of sin. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, if I can't get into heaven because I'm guilty of sin, then what hope do I have? Well, that, my friend, is why we have the New Testament. Jesus came. In fact, there are four accounts right off the bat of the New Testament of the life of Christ. And each take a different angle and offer a different perspective. But all four books culminate in the same story of Jesus being crucified to a cross. Now, why has Jesus been such a big deal? Was it just that he was a good prophet? Somebody years back uh, put it this way. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. A liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord either. And why would have Jesus been a liar? Because he claimed not just to be a good prophet, he claimed to be God. And as God... He came and he died up on a cross, one that was much less uh, uh, pretty than that one, one that was much uglier than the one that you see up there. And you say, well, why would God come to earth in order to die? The, here is the reason. Because I am a sinner. I deserve to die. I deserve to go to hell for my sin. You see, heaven is a place of perfection. Heaven is a place where God lives. And uh, you enter into the presence of God with sin and God cannot stand sin. He cannot stand the sight of sin. Why? Because sin is the breaking of the laws of God. Sin is a representation of my rebellion against God's laws. And God cannot let that into his heaven. And so uh, God instead said, I need to do something to acquit their crimes, to pardon their crimes, to expunge their wrongdoings. I need some way of, of, of punishing someone else so that they can be forgiven. And so Jesus, God's son, who is just as flawless and perfect as God the Father was, he volunteered to come to earth and he was born through the womb of a virgin named Mary and after 33 years of life and the last three and a half of those being public ministry, he was taken by a bunch of religious phonies and he was nailed up on a cross and as he hung on that cross as he was nailed up there with, uh, uh, through his hands and his feet God, his Father in heaven went back in time and went forward in time and looked at the present time He looked at each individual that would live. Yes, He looked at me. And yes, He looked at you. He looked at your birth date. He looked at your death date. He saw all the sins you would commit in between those two dates. And He swept together your sins into a pile along with the rest of humanity. And He went to that place where Jesus was hanging on the cross. And Jesus became our sin. You ask this question, how long does it take to kill an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God? How long does it take to kill a God who's all-powerful? When you turn him into the sin of all mankind, it only takes three short hours. Our sin killed Jesus on that cross. How much does God hate your sin? So much that if you don't turn from it, he'll send you to hell. How much does God love your soul? So much that he would send his son, his only begotten son, John 3 tells us, to die on a cross and die in your place. Jesus not only died, my friends, three days later, three days, three nights later, he stood up from the grave. He won the battle against death. My sin killed him, but my sin could not hold him down. Three days later, he stood up. He grabbed the keys of death, of hell, and the grave from Satan, and he said, I won. And now he looks at you, and he says, for you to get to heaven, you must choose to put your faith, your trust, your reliance, your dependence in me. Jesus looked at Thomas uh, as Jesus was in that upper room where the Lord's Supper happened. Jesus looked at Thomas and the rest of the disciples and he said, I'm going to prepare a place in heaven for you. and, And you know the way. And Thomas said, but Lord, but Jesus, we don't know the way to heaven. And Jesus looked at Thomas right in the eye and he said this. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man, listen to the absoluteness of this statement. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to get into heaven? You have to come through me. Now, there are those out there that would say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in. No, 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 no. No, 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 you have to believe in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And someone would step back and say, well, that's narrow-minded. And I would step back to that person and I would say this, if I created the world and I made them perfect and they chose in that Garden of Eden to choose sin and rebel and run from me and 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 and, and, and cast a humanity into a downward law-breaking spiral and I stepped back and said, I need to do something to buy them back. I need to do something to redeem them. I need to do something to separate the the one I love from the sin in his heart. And I took my only son and I sent him to death's row in order to provide a way. And that person were to look at the great sacrifice of killing my son that I had done and say, well, I don't want that. I want to do it my way. You know what my attitude would be? If you don't want to do it my way, then you can go on to hell. Now, that's tough. That's tough. But if I offered up my only son to save your carcass from death row, and you shunned that, you despised that, you pushed that away, I, at that point, would be comfortable with letting you die. My friend Jesus died for you. And he looks at you, and he says this. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. He says this. He says, if you call on my name... You shall be saved. You shall be rescued. Now look, you may have walked in the door today, and none of this is in my notes. This is just, the Lord moved in my heart to say all this, and somebody here today, I believe, needs it. But the Lord today is calling you. The Bible says this, it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is. Is the day of salvation. The book of James tells us this. It says, your life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and it vanisheth away. When I was a little boy, I'd walk in the kitchen and my mom would be boiling a pot of noodles and off of that pot would be some steam and it would rise and you've all seen it it would rise and just as fast as you saw it, it would disappear. The truth is, my friend, you don't know when your life is going to end. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this, it is appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment. There's going to come a day where you die and my friend, I don't know when I'm going to die and you don't know when you're going to die. But I know this, before you die, you better turn to Jesus and you better put your faith in him to get you into heaven. Jesus isn't just one of the prophets. He isn't just uh, one of the great spiritual leaders. No, He is the only way for you to make peace with God and spend eternity with Jesus. Let's have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes just for a moment, if you would. I'm going to get to the message on temperance here in a minute. But I just want to make sure while the Spirit of God is moving and while things are strong, if the Spirit of God has confirmed in your heart, if He has knocked on your heart's door and said, will you believe in me? Will you call on my name? Will you trust in me? I, look, I don't want to delay that. I don't, want to, I don't want to let that moment pass. Listen, it's this simple. If your head's bowed and eyes are closed right now, and you've never put your full faith in christ alone to save you what are you waiting for why don't you do that right now the bible says in romans 10 it says it says this for whosoever that's all inclusive that's anyone for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved there's a story, keep your head about nice eyes closed for just a moment here. There's a story in Luke about two men who went into, a te- into the temple. One man stood up where everyone could see him and he proclaimed his own glory. The other man was a wretched sinner. He stood in the corner and he beat his chest and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one of those men, Jesus asked, went out redeemed? The one that proclaimed his own righteousness or the one who called on the name of the righteous son of God? Today, you need to do the same. You need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to ask Him to take away your sins. Right there where you're sitting, if the Lord is drawing you at this moment, and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, will you pray this prayer right there where you are? Under your breath, under your breath, right there, just say this prayer. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I understand the penalty For my sin is death and hell. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. Come into my life. Take away my sin. And give me the gift of eternal life. I believe in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes still closed, no one but me is looking. Let me ask this question. If you prayed that prayer right where you are right now, would you just slip your hand up so I can rejoice with you? Is there anyone here that prayed that prayer? I see a hand. I see another hand. Is there anyone else? I see a third hand. Anyone else prayed that prayer this morning? I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Listen, you may be here today and you didn't pray that prayer and, and you say, I, Pastor Lejeune, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. I'm just not quite there yet. Pastor, will you pray for me that in time I will be able to pray and ask Christ to come into my life? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand where you are? I didn't pray the prayer, but pray for me that God will help me to get to a place where I can call on his name. Is there anyone like that this morning? All right, you can look up here. To so those that raise your hand saying that you prayed that prayer, I'll be standing in the back of the auditorium after the service this morning. Will you come and let me know that you did that so we can rejoice with you? That would be great. Uh, let's turn our, t- our attention here to the topic of temperance. When I'm at a food buffet, someone wrote this. He said, when I'm at a food buffet and I've already had more than enough to eat and I know there's a good chance another plate will make me miserable for the next or three next three or four hours and I eat it anyway... I lack self-control when I decide to stay up late and play video games or surf the internet knowing full well that I have to be up early the next morning and I'll be so tired I'll feel sick all day I lack self-control when I procrastinate doing my taxes leaving myself in a last minute minute panic to get it done. I lack self-control when I spend 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 and never save. I lack self-control when I watch hours of TV a day, but only spend a few minutes in Bible study and prayer. If any at all, I lack self-control when I choose the pleasures of sin, enjoying them for a short time, forfeiting the long-term and eternal blessings of living in obedience to Christ. I lack self self control. Daniel Axed in a secular article uh, called Who's in Charge here wrote this. He said, Life in modern Western cultures is like living at a giant all you can eat buffet, offering more calories, credit, sex, intoxicants, and just about anything uh, anything else one could take to excess than than one forbears might even have imagined. With more possibilities for pleasures and fewer uh, uh, rules and constraints than ever before, the happy few listen to this: the happy few will be those uh, able to exercise self-control, self-control. What is temperance? Well, very simply put, temperance is the ability to exhibit self-control. Uh, there's a story, in fact, turn over to Daniel chapter 1, hold your place there. There's a story about a man named Daniel, and he had uh, some friends, and uh, they were very uh, intelligent and did well at school, and they lived in the nation of Israel. Well, the nation of Israel had been rebelling against their God, and uh, been living um, uh, in idolatry and idol worship for some time, even for centuries, and they had been warned by the prophets. Well, the day came where Babylon uh, came in And invaded Israel. And first, there was an invasion in stages. They began by taking young men and women who were very educated and top of their class. And so, some of the first few people to get swooped up and kidnapped from their home and taken back to this foreign land, kidnapped, uh, was Daniel and his three buddies. Let's see, I'm trying to remember their Hebrew names Hanani, Meshach, and Azariah, I believe they were. Later named um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, those four guys along with some others were swooped up and they were taken into Babylon and the purpose of them was not to put some kind of collar around their neck and make them scrub floors. The purpose of taking these men were to brainwash them and get them to think the Babylonian way and to be educated and smart and to be put into the system there uh, in order to help things advance. So they were taken and they were brought into uh, the castle where uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar the leader of Babylon lived and they were to be broken down and trained up again, sort of like you would do with a young man that you put in boot camp. Uh, And so they're given food to eat that's been offered up to idols, and they're given alcohol to drink. And uh, uh, the the man who's been put in charge of them, the Babylonian man that's been put in charge of them, his job is to get them ready for inspection by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Look at Daniel chapter 1 and look at verse number 8. Look here, we see the temperance displayed by Daniel. The Bible says, "What Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the princes and of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. There's so much we could pull out of this verse, we don't have the time to do that this morning, but I will pull this one thing out, and that is this, that Daniel's parents were no longer looking over his shoulder. Daniel's parents, who had no doubt raised him to honor the Lord. In fact, we see the devotion that Daniel had uh, uh, to God right here in verse 8. And it would continue all through uh, the book of Daniel. But Daniel's parents had raised him to be devoted to the Lord and to love the Lord and to live for the Lord and to be loyal to the Lord. And, and, And Daniel was sold out for God. Daniel was not just doing right because mom and dad said so. Daniel was doing right because he loved his God. His parents were taken out of his life and he had been taken to a land where they spoke a different language and he's plopped down there and uh, and he's told uh he, he's told there there's a new uh, forget everything you know there's a new way to live and Daniel looked up to the heavens and he said my parents may not be watching but I know that you are and I'm not going to let you down lord I may live in a different land. I may need to learn another language. I may need to have to operate in a different culture. I may be in this world, but I will not be of this world. I will be of the kingdom of heaven first. Daniel exhibited temperance, self-control. I can see Daniel there at the table, maybe a banquet hall style table, and the food is put in front of him, and it's a juicy filet mignon. Can I get a witness? Amen. Maybe wrapped in bacon. Can I get another witness? Probably not. Well, maybe it was because he was a Jew, not allowed to eat that. And Anyway, uh, it's there. And a, a, a glass of alcohol, wine, uh, intoxicating beverage is slid in front of him. And there's nothing wrong with eating that meat except that it had been put in front of an idol and offered up to an idol first. And that was against their Hebrew law. And Daniel looks at all of the other Hebrew boys that had been captured with him and they're all chowing down. And he sits there and he stares at his plate. And I can hear the boy across the table look at Daniel say, Oh, Daniel, stop being such a religious fuddy duddy. Stop being a holy roller. Stop being a holy Joe, Holy Daniel, and just eat the food in front of you. Knock it off. Your mom and dad aren't here. The priest isn't here. The high priest isn't here. In fact, they were killed. Just eat the food. And Daniel looks at it and says, my mom and dad might not be here. And my priest may not be here. And uh, the scholar that taught me, the rabbi might not be here. But you know who is here? The Lord is here. And he doesn't want me to eat that. Daniel exhibited temperance even when it was inconvenient For him to do so, I propose that temperance is a fruit that must be developed, developed in the Christian life. The world screams for our attention. Sin calls for us to indulge. There are temptations that lure us, uh, flirt with us, and make empty promises to us every day of our lives. Sometimes every hour of our day. As a Christian, you will never know the true peace and fullness of God's blessings until you are able to say no to sin and no to the temptation of sin. Let's look closely at three principal thoughts as we consider the ninth and final fruit of the Spirit. Let's take a close look at a testimony of temperance. If you can go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at that passage quite closely this morning. Notice number one, the building blocks of our faith. The building blocks of our faith. Look back with me at 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse number 5, if you will. The Bible says, and besides this, giving all diligence... Pay very close attention. Put your enthusiasm. Put your umph behind it. Look here. Add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue knowledge. And to knowledge temperance. And to temperance patience. And to patience godliness. And to godliness Brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness charity now um, I have probably made the same where I have made the mistake that you probably have made if you've read these verses and uh, uh, There's a difference between Bible reading and Bible study You all know what I'm talking about this morning and you get to you open up the chart and it's time to read second Peter in your Bible And you think oh, this is a short book I can read it all in one sitting and you just blow through five six and seven and You don't really give it a lot of thought. Well, I want us to take a a a deeper dive in into these, let's see, these eight truths here in Second Peter chapter 1 and show you how this works. Now, uh, I want to just warn you for the sake of the screen, I left one of them off by accident, but we'll get it in here, we'll cover it. Uh, but nonetheless, the truth will all be the same. Notice here that we are to add to, add to. So if we're adding to, that means there's a foundation, there are pillars, and then we're building on top of it, okay? What is the first one? Speak to me this morning. What is the first First one listed uh, here in verse number five. We're to give all diligence and we're to start with what? Faith. Very good. You're awake this morning. Amen. Add to your faith. Go ahead and throw that um, uh, uh, image up there for me. The building blocks of our faith. Here we see the pillars of faith, virtue, and knowledge. That screen is quite a bit smaller than that screen. And uh, I, I don't think I need glasses, but there we go. That's a help. Knowledge. Faith, virtue, knowledge. Now, let me show you how this works. Okay? You wake this morning? I need you to put your thinking cap on here with me, okay? All right. You add to your faith. Why does the Bible here, why does Second Peter 1 start with faith? The reason is because faith is the entry point to salvation. Your relationship with Christ begins the moment, the very moment, you put your full faith in Christ. To the three of you that unashamedly raise your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you, I exercised my faith in Christ, that right there became the moment that you entered into this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you listening this morning, it isn't just faith that saves us, it's faith that sanctifies us. It's faith that grows us. It's faith that takes us on that journey. Alright, so you 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 begin with faith. The next one on the list, you add to your faith, What what's the next one there? You add to your faith, virtue. What is virtue? Vert, listen, the moment you get saved, the Lord immediately identifies things in your life that need to go. You know they're wrong. I think of a couple that's living together prior to marriage, and they get saved. And the Lord says to their heart, you don't need to be living together. And so either they immediately get married, or they move out until they get married. I think of someone who is drinking alcohol, and uh, they know as soon as they get saved... I'm an alcoholic, and I need to put that down. And they quit cold turkey, and they walk away. Maybe someone who's smoking or using bad language, and the Lord brings it to their heart, and they say, boy, that's got to go. Now, by the way, some of you are going to be at different stages here, but there are those things that you need to stop, and there are all those things that you need to start. Um, uh, what does a Christian do as someone who's saved, a disciple of the Lord? You know what they do? They read their Bible religiously. They pray regularly. They go to church every chance they get. They fall in love with Jesus. Virtue. You add to your faith. Virtue. Okay. From there, now that we've stopped doing the obvious, and we've started doing the obvious, then what's next? Well, the next one is knowledge. You know what? As I get in my Bible and I begin to read it, and I begin to pray, and I begin to go to church and hear preaching, you know what happens? God takes, the Holy Spirit takes a flashlight, and He goes around in the corners of my heart, And he says, there's more things that need to go. And there's more things that need to go. Oh, why don't we take these out, and why don't we put this in its place? Hey, that music that honors the devil, let's rip that out, and let's replace it with music that honors the Lord. You hear? You with me this morning? You all still awake? Most of you are. I see a couple of you dozing off. And I'm just going to shout real loud in a minute and make sure they're awake. We all right this morning? We're adding to our virtue knowledge. Have you ever been reading your Bible? Uh, Maybe when you were a young Christian, some of you, have you ever been reading your Bible or uh, listening to preaching, and uh, uh, either the Scripture told you or the Spirit of God told you uh, or uh, the preacher told you, with with Bible to back it up, that that is a sin? And you sat back and said, that's a sin? What? No. That can't possibly be wrong. I, I, I just, Lord, look, I know it's in black and white, maybe even in red, but I can't buy that that's a sin. You know what's happening there is you're adding to your faith virtue. And then as you're sincerely trying to do what's right, God brings about knowledge that shows you more. Now, I'm going to show you where most Christians get stuck. Most Christians get stuck at the next one, and that's the sermon today. It's temperance. Now, what is temperance? Listen, sometimes the Christian life is not about uh, a cut, uh, a black and white, cut and dry, right and wrong, okay? Let's take an example here. Let's take food. Now, I'm going to, listen, I'm not exactly the guy to be preaching about overeating this morning, because clearly I have done my share of overeating, all right? And I'm a well-fed preacher, praise God. But let's take food. All right? Is it, is it a sin to eat food? No. If you don't eat, you don't live. Somebody this week, was it, was it you? Someone by this was Pastor Morales, was telling me about some nut job somewhere who said that uh, it is a sin to eat food and, and the Lord's going to just uh, bring me nutrition through the air that I breathe. I get that mostly right. You know what I told him? I said, let's come back in six months and she, see how she's doing Okay, You have to eat to live. Now, some people live to eat. Other people eat to live. You with me this morning? Food. Can I tell you that there's nothing wrong with eating, but there is something wrong with overeating. You with me? Some things, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of self-control, of not doing it in excess. The Lord brings something in your life. Hey, maybe for you it's sports. Listen, I love Sports. But the Lord had to work on my heart a long time ago that sports must come a distant second, third, or fourth behind me. You can't elevate that above. And so the item itself may not be wrong, but when it's taken out of perspective, it becomes wrong. The God brings that flashlight into your life and says, "Let's to, let's let's to, let let's 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 dial this back a little bit. Let's get rid of that altogether. Let's change this here. Self-control, temperance says, yes, sir, Lord." Yes, sir, Lord. Hey, listen, I may not get there right away, but yes, sir, Lord. Now, notice what we're adding to our temperance. We're adding to our temperance patience. Now, why patience? Because the Lord knows that it can take time to make those changes. I had a Bible professor in college named Chris Teft, and uh, Chris Teft is a great guy, funny preacher. He pastor now pastors up in Massachusetts. And Chris Teft said that when he got saved, he was, uh, I believe he was part of the 82nd Airborne Division down in North Carolina. And he, he went to church and he got saved. And, and he said, I gave up my rock music like eight times. I gave it up and then I'd go back to it. And I'd give it up again, and I'd go back to it. And I'd give it up again, and I'd go back to it. Now, for some of you here this morning, you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with rock music? That's another sermon for another time. Amen. Uh, but um, uh, he gave it up, and he'd come back to it. He'd give it up, and he'd come back to it. Can I tell you why we add to our temperance patience? Because you're not going to get it all figured out in a month. You're not even going to get it figured out in a year or five years or ten years. In fact, I look around the room at Mark and Jim and Lexon, Pastor Morales, Brother Segura, Brother O'Kai, uh, uh, Pauline, and all these ladies right here who've been saved 30, 40, some of them 50 years. And can I tell you what? They still are getting some of these things figured out. It takes patience. But we add to our faith uh, virtue, to our virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance. And then we, we begin to put in the work to fight those battles. And we add uh, to our virtue patience, and then to our patience godliness. We begin to see God do a great work in us. And then to our godliness, we add to it brotherly kindness. Can I tell you what I believe my interpretation of brotherly kindness here this is this morning? I believe brotherly kindness is this. It's accountability. It's accountability. It's me going to someone else who is my peer and saying, listen, God has shown me that this is wrong or that this is out of balance. And God has shown me I need to exercise temperance here. And I'm having a tough time. Can I make myself accountable to you in order to be able to get this right? And then we add to our brotherly kindness, charity. Now, it's interesting charity is last 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And by the way, if you don't have a King James Bible, the word charity is probably in this passage listed as love. And let me tell you why charity is a more exact word. That word charity is not just a generic love. It's a compassionate love. It is a pity love. It's me looking at you who is struggling to exercise temperance in your life and saying, let me get down in the trenches and help you. Now, I'm not going to throw stones at you. I'm going to come alongside of you and in the spirit of humility, in the spirit of of, of humbleness, try to help you up. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to love you the building blocks of our faith. Notice that at the center of this is a spirit of temperance. Now, before I move on to number two, I just want to say, uh, add one more thing here, and that is this. Um, many people, they get faith down. I believe everyone here, if not almost everyone here, has at some point put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. And those immediate obvious things that were right or wrong that either need to be included or excluded, you took care of that. And then you came to knowledge and you come to church and you hear the word of God preached and you're growing and going for the Lord and praise God for that. And then God shows you through preaching or through the spirit of God or through Bible reading, he shows you things that need to change. And then that's where we put on the brakes and we say, Lord, but I've changed enough. I'm not going to change anymore. And we make that mistake. And temperance is not something that is becoming of many Christians. Number one, the building blocks of our faith. Number two, notice, the battle with our flesh. The battle with our flesh. Go back to Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and look at well, with me at verse number 4. Where, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Look at the rest of the verse here. Having escaped. What have we escaped? The corruption. Notice that word corruption. That is in the world through lust. In the world through lust. The corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I'm going to be very honest this morning. Lust exists in the world. Are we all on the same page here? There's lust everywhere. Lust of the eyes. The Bible tells us uh, that all sin originates from three areas. The, the, The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There's lust everywhere in the world. Can I tell you somewhere else lust exists? It exists right here. How many of you are with me this morning? You battle with lust just like I do. And I'm not talking about sexual lust. I'm just talking about desires of your flesh that do not please the Lord. How many of you are with me this morning? You all awake today? This is a battle that we all face. And I may be the pastor. I might be the one with the suit on that's preaching from the Bible this morning. But, hey, I have red blood running through my veins just like you do. And I battle with lust just like you do. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles over to uh, Ephesians uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. While you're turning there, let me share with you what the great Apostle Paul said about the battle with his flesh. Now, you're going to have to listen uh, closely here because this gets a little wordy, uh, but I hope that you can get the, the, the meaning of this here. Romans chapter 7, Paul said this, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold unto sin. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would... What I want to do, that what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law, that it is good. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in me that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good... I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, uh, if I do that, uh, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. You know what Paul is saying here? Boy, with everything inside of me, in theory on paper, I want to do right. But I can't do it. And boy, with everything inside of me, I don't want to do wrong. But then I turn around and I find myself doing wrong. Do you all understand the battle this morning? Boy, the preacher gets up on Sundays or Wednesdays and he heralds forth righteousness. And you psych yourself up and you say, I'm going to go do it. And then Monday comes and there goes that word again. There, There goes that attitude again. There goes that fleshly desire winning out again. And you go... I can't get around this thing. The battle with our flesh. Now we're going to get to Ephesians uh, chapter four in just a moment, but let me give you letter A. Some common areas. Some common areas. Now please understand that uh, uh, rapid fire. These are going to come up on the screen. I'm not going to have you turn any of the verses, but rapid fire. Uh, these are going to come up on the screen, and um uh, if you can write them all down, if not, just sit still and listen. And uh, the Lord will put His fingers in your heart, maybe on an area too that you struggle with. But let me just say prior. Uh, This is not an all-inclusive list. The Lord may identify in your life... A battle with your flesh that doesn't land on the screen, but where the Lord touches on your heart, then do business with God this morning. Alright? The first one I listed up here is anger. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And again, I'm not going to read scripture on all these for the sake of time. Next one is laziness. Uh, The next one we have here is entertainment. Entertainment. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 17 says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The next one I have up here is drugs and alcohol. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 31 says look not thou upon the wine when it is red or when it is fermented when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. The next one I have listed here is a loose tongue. A loose tongue. James chapter 3 verse 2 says for in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. By the way, James chapter 3 it talks about the tongue being a world of iniquity set on fire of hell. The next one I have listed here is sexual lust. Romans chapter 6 verse 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Uh, the next one, covetousness. Uh, that's the wanting something else that I should not have or cannot have. Uh, the next one, excessive food and drink. Listen closely to this one. I believe this is one many, many people in the room struggle with. Proverbs chapter 23, 1 and 2 says, when thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 16 says this, Hast thou found honey, something sweet? Uh, eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith, and vomit it. The next one I have listed here is thought life. Uh, the last one here, internet slash social media. Listen to what Psalm chapter 90 verse 8 says. It says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance now again that list is not all inclusive there are others that could be put on there but i wonder how many of these i struggle with i battle with. I wonder how many of these you battle with. Remember we opened the message with that secular author talking about we live in a day and time in our western culture. Where it's like a all you can eat buffet of, 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 of calories and credit and sex and intoxicants. And, and and all of the things that we should not indulge in. We live in a day and time where it's never been easier to indulge in all of them. A testimony of temperance. The battle with our flesh. How many of these things do we battle with? Are you in Ephesians chapter 4? Look with me in verse number 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. The flesh desires to lie, to cover up. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. Look at verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or Covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becoming saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, that's someone who's addicted to sexual sins, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, of Christ and of God. So, not that someone who struggles with these isn't saved, but if this is what you're Known by, If this is uh, what identifies you, you clearly have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, I'm not here to make anyone doubt their salvation this morning because I'm going to tell you that all Christians struggle with the same battles that the lost struggle with. But let me ask you a question. Are you exercising temperance in your life? Are you doing your best to yield these areas to the Spirit of God and say, I want you to give me the victory? We looked at some common areas. Letter B, talking about the battle with our flesh. Notice some Christian alibis. Some Christian alibis. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look look at verse number 20. It says there, "...but ye have not so learned Christ..." Speaking of those that are saved but still living like they're lost, ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now look at the, look at the intentionality of verse 22. Look at the choice made or dictated to us in verse 22 that ye put off like an old Ratty garment that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, that sinful fleshly desire, which is, look at that next word, corrupt, even to the deceitful lust. We are to put off the desires of the flesh and we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what are some Christian Christian alibis. By the way, the lost people, they don't make alibis. You know that if you're lost, you you know what you do uh, when you're watching football? You drink beer. This is part of how it goes. Listen, um, and I watch football. You can put it right there by the jar. Thank you. I watch football. In fact, I'll probably go home this morning and and turn on a football game uh, and watch a little bit. But can I tell you what happens every time an alcohol commercial comes on TV? Change the channel. I won't look at it. I don't want to set that uh, before my eyes. But you know what the world has told me as a little guy all the way up watching sports? That you can't watch sports and not drink beer. That the two are connected to each other. Let me tell you something. I want to understand what's happening in the fourth quarter of the game. I want to know what's going on in the ninth inning and not be so drunk that the next morning I wake up and have to watch the highlights to figure it out. I'd rather watch football with a Pepsi or a tea in my hand. And and there's people in here say, Pastor, Pepsi's worse than alcohol. Uh, You may feel that way. Uh, Bless God. Let the Lord lead me in that area. Amen. Let him teach me temperance in that area. Uh, But uh, I would rather watch it with a bottle of water in my hand (laughs) than I would with a beer in my hand any day. Listen, just because the world dictates something doesn't make it true. But can I tell you this? People who are lost, they're not making an alibi about drinking a beer. They don't care. Can I tell you? People that are lost, they're living together. They're, 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 they're living in premarital sexual relationship or they're having an extramarital sexual relationship. They don't need to make excuses because they're not saved. They don't have the spirit of God working on them. But can I tell you what Christians do? They make excuses. They're living in sin, and boy, they've got alibis that run a mile long. And, and uh, I took these out of the slideshow uh, for simplicity's sake, but let me just give you some of the excuses. The, well, the first set here, some dismiss scripture. These will be up on the screen. Some dismiss scriptures. Now, um, um, I, there's a story. I, I worked to validate this this week and had a hard time doing so. But I heard a preacher say, and so if it's false, it's the preacher's fault. Amen, not mine. I, I heard a preacher say uh, that Jimmy Carter was questioned about uh, female equality and um, uh, with men, and he took a strong stance on female equality. And i got to tell you, I line up shoulder to shoulder with President Carter. I do think that women and men are equal in the sight of God. All the men should say... All right. Women are not less than men. God did not take Eve from Adam's head. He didn't take him from Adam's foot. He took her from Adam's side because she is equal. And in the kingdom of heaven, there is neither male or female, Jew Jew nor Greek. We're all equal in the sight of the Lord. Now, just because uh, uh, they're equal doesn't mean they don't play different roles. So, But someone asked Mr. Carter, he said, Well, if you think women and men are equal and you believe in the Bible, then what do you do with Ephesians chapter 5 that says the woman is to submit?" And he said, I believe the whole Bible except for Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we would never, I hope, be as bold as to make that statement. But what you do speaks a whole lot louder than what you say. And you keep letting that sin reign in your mortal body and you choose not to fight against it, battle against it, and exercise temperance, can I tell you what you're doing? You are dismissing Scripture outright. You're saying, oh, I love John 3.16. I love Acts 16.31. Boy, I love Revelation when we're all standing in the presence of God, singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, uh, who was and is and, and, and is to come. Uh, we, 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 we love those verses, but that verse that hits on that sin that I struggle with, Well, we'll we'll not look at that one so closely. We'll not worry with that one right there. Some dismiss scripture. Next one, some uh, some downplay its seriousness. Some downplay its seriousness. Others will say, well, it was just a little white lie. There was no harm done. There was no harm done. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Oh boy, that one made the top ten. Some will say, some men will say, or even a woman will say, well, it it was just a quick, lustful glance. My wife or husband will never know. Someone else will say, I only cheated on my taxes one time. The government gets enough of my money anyway. You see how we downplay its seriousness? Well, it's just a word like any other word. Let no corrupt communication. Proceed out of your mouth. It was just one sip that I have occasionally. It surely isn't a big deal. No one was harmed in the environment which I drank it. No one was hurt. And so surely it's okay. Um, uh, look not upon the wine when it is red in the cup. When it biteth like an adder. Some dismiss scripture. Some downplay its seriousness. Notice this. Some disregard the spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 30. Look at, look at verse number 30. And we're, bringing the, we're beginning to bring the message uh, to a close here. Look at verse number 30. Uh, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now... There, there have been seasons in my life where I have really not exercised temperance. There have been seasons in my life where there was a sin that had spiked, and I was just living in it, and I had an attitude of, I just don't care. I, I, I'm going to do it, and you know what? God's grace is there to recover me later. Um, and I'm just being transparent with you this morning. There have been seasons in my life where that's happened. Has anyone else here made that mistake? Can I tell you something this morning? When I did that, I was flat wronged. But God did not dismiss my salvation. Verse 30 says we're sealed under the day of redemption. Now, here's the listen to me this morning. Here is the error. Here is the great crime uh, that we commit against the Spirit of God. We fall on our knees and we put our faith in Jesus. And He forgives us of past sins. He forgives us of present sins. And He forgives us of future sins. And so our eternal account with God is settled. And then he takes up residence in our heart. He begins to live inside of us to do a few things. Well, the first thing he does is he convicts us of sin. The next thing he does is he comforts us when we're sad. And you see, and there's other things, but you see these things that the Spirit of God is doing in our life. But the very first act the Spirit of God is he puts a seal, a seal over our name in the Lamb's book of life so that our name can never be removed. And then we go off and we live in sin. And God is living inside of us. Now, here's what God has showed me when I have just indulged in some sin. The Spirit of God, I can almost feel Him heaving and sobbing inside of me. And He's saying, you're pouring the septic of sin down your proverbial throat all over my head. I have to dwell with your sin as I live inside of you. And He sits there and He weeps. Now, here's the truth. The Spirit of God is a gentleman. And He thumps you in your chest. He pricks you when you're doing wrong. But He does not pull out a club and beat you over the head. You know what He does do? He pokes you when you're wrong. And then He sits there and He grieves. He sits there and He grieves. And He says, why must you talk like that? Why must you eat that way? Why must you... Take in that substance. Why must you lose your temper on a regular basis? Why must you berate and hate and hurt? Why can't you learn some temperance? Why can't you let me help you bear the fruit of temperance in your life? And we, be quiet, Spirit of God. Hush. I'm in control. I'm in charge. Something that I pray regularly in my prayer classes is I say, Spirit of God, if you're not sitting on the throne of my heart right now, and self is sitting there, then help me to remove myself. Spirit of God, you sit on the throne of my heart. You call the shots. You reign supreme. That can only happen through a testimony of temperance. Number one, we see the building blocks of our faith. Number two, the battle with our flesh. Lastly, number three, we see the blessings of faithfulness. Go back to second Peter chapter one with me and look at verse number eight. It says, therefore, if these things be in you and abound, if these things, what things, those eight things listed, you remember them? We, we began with the building blocks of our faith. Those eight things, if they dwell in you, if they abound in you, Uh, Look here. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to rattle these off to you very quick, and we're going to bring the message to a close. Letter A, notice his peace. What are the blessings of faithfulness? What are the blessings of living with these building blocks in our life? His peace. Look at verse number 2. Grace and... What's that next word? Let me hear you now. Grace and... That's about half of you. Everybody now. Ready? Grace and peace. peace be multiplied. Is the peace of God multiplied in your heart? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or and of Jesus our Lord. Let her be noticed His power. His power. Look at verse number 3. When I pause, read, enthusiastically read the next word out loud. Look at verse 3. According as His divine Power. power. Hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I don't know about you. I want the peace of God in my life. I want the power of God in my life. Let her see, notice his promises. His promises. Look at verse four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious. Promises. All those promises in the Bible that are conditioned on my living. I want to live my life in a way where God pours out in abundance His promises on me. Uh, letter D. Notice His partnership. His partnership. Look back at verse four, whereby are given unto succeeding great and precious promises that ye that by these ye might be. What's that next word? Partakers of what? Of the divine nature. That means I get to get in the yoke with Jesus and get to do the work with Him. Oh, man. Wow. I get to work alongside with my Savior doing a work that is divine. His partnership. Notice here, lastly, letter E, his purity. Look back at verse number four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Look here, having escaped, oh man, escaped, you just got away from it. The corruption that is in the world through lust. If we can figure out a way to live by faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance uh, and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity, and we can exercise these uh, uh, th- these virtues in our life and be diligent about doing it, we get to escape the corruption. Boy, you go through life and there are these windows. You see these windows in this room? Let's let's say these walls were pulled in to make a small hallway. We have two, four, six, eight, ten windows. And each day of your life, you have to walk past the same ten windows. And those ten windows represent sin. And if I go through that window, I am committing some sin against God. And you know what? Every day, there is a hand coming through that window saying, Come on through. Come on through. You know you want to boy, we will be in a much better place if we can get in the daily habit of just walking right on by and saying, Spirit of God, will you secure me? Will you fortify me? Will you run to the aid and help me through this time of temptation? I heard someone say this, and I'll finish the sermon of this. He said, Every... Temptation. Uh, 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 every sin, uh, is, uh, every sin is, is brought with the same temptation that if I succumb, I will be happier. If I give in, I will be happier. How many of you here have realized that giving in a temptation, that desire, that promise is nothing more than an empty promise on the other side? Isn't it? God has put his hand, I pray, on some area in your life that needs to change. Are you ready to commit to fighting the battle against your flesh and experiencing the blessings that come from a life of faithfulness? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I pray that you will move in the hearts of those that are here. Lord, would you help us to be serious about living a life that is temperate? Would you help us to be serious about making changes as you bring them about? And Lord, that will only happen if we're serious about understanding that you have our best intentions in mind. Help us to fight that battle each and every day. And when we fail, help us to fall on our knees and confess our sin and get up and try again. Lord, do a great work in the lives of your people this morning. In Jesus' name.